Today is November 18th, 2022. Welcome to the Chapter 49 podcast. My name is Larry Lannon. I'm a volunteer for Chapter 49 and a retiree. Chapter 49 represents most IRS employees in the state of Indiana. And Duncan Giles is our chapter president. Welcome once again, Duncan. Thanks, Larry. It's always good to be here. And uh, we have uh, two guests from Washington, D.C. this week. We have Dan Casper, who's the Director of Field Operations and Organizing for NTEU. He's his office is out of Washington, D.C. Dan, welcome back to the podcast. Pleasure, Larry. Hi, Duncan. And uh, also we have with us Ken Moffat. He's the Director of Negotiations for NTEU at the national level. Ken, welcome back. Good to have you with us again. Thank you, Larry. Hello, so, so what we're going to do here is uh, just talk about a number of issues. The first issue I'd like to, to bring up here, and there are many that are percolating uh, within the system, has to do with the fact that people, particularly in call centers, but in, in wage and investment particularly, have been told that they are simply not going to be able to, uh, to have any annual leave approved during this tax filing season, which really begins at the 1st of January, normally has been mid-April, although that could be extended. So I'm going to ask uh, uh, Kent if he would start the conversation and, and just tell us uh, where that stands and what's going on with that. Yeah, thanks. Um, so I think back in October or so, um, beginning of October, uh, an executive that was in or overseeing uh, accounts management sent us an email and basically said that for the upcoming filing season, no accounts management employees would be approved for annual leave um, as a way to, um, as, as she put it, that there would need to be, uh, the agency would try to attain a certain level of service that was extremely high. I think it was 85%. And um, I think the level of service currently is in the 9 to 11% range. Um, but yeah, the agency, I, I don't recall this ever happening. And it was not something that they consulted us about, obviously. Um, you know, employees have for years, uh, not just in accounts management, all, all federal employees get to take leave, they accrue leave. Um, you know, we negotiate procedures for how they take it. Um, and typically, you know, there's an approval process and, and probably about 99.8% of all people or even higher are approved leave. So this was kind of out of the blue and, um, you know, they made it based on a decision. Um, you know, they, I think to a certain extent, they, you know, asserted that, uh, you know, it was kind of being mandated indirectly by Treasury, um, which we didn't really uh, believe. Um, but the, the other thing is when we met with them, well, the first thing we did is we, we talked to them about not going down that path, given the hard work that employees had been putting in over the last several years, um, uh, which was actually a, a significantly more work in accounts management because of uh, the various things that Congress had been doing um, during the, the, the COVID-19 pandemic with um, stimulus checks and that type of thing. So uh, we talked to them about it and pointed out that the contract, um, you know, this is a, a area of the workforce that's governed essentially by two collective bargaining units. There's a 
a, a customer service agreement and then there's the national agreement, both of which essentially um, pretty much guarantee you that you're gonna, gonna have leave. And um, you know, if you know anything about the job, um, which you know, the chapter 49 folks certainly do, um, it's, a, it's an arduous, uh, difficult job where you're you know, interacting with uh, taxpayers for you know, eight or nine hours a day. Um, and people deserve to take leave. Um, so we talked to them about walking it back and they essentially refused. Um, we asked them for some data to kind of get a handle on what their level of service has been um, over the last decade. And, um, you know, in a good year, I don't think they've ever been above, you know, like 60 or 70%. So the 85% uh, uh, level of service figure kind of struck us as, as really uh, not that attainable. I mean, you have to remember that all of this is in the backdrop of the IRS uh, having its budget slashed for over 10 years uh, by Congress and, you know, losing about 25 to 30,000 bargaining employees during that, during that decade. So they didn't walk it back and we filed a national grievance. Um, and, you know, based on what we think are violations, pretty clear violations of the contract, uh, both of them. And um, we're now in the process of prosecuting the, uh, the national agreement. And, you know, of course we would, uh, we would, uh, we would want, continue to want them to, to walk it back or rescind the, you know, the unilateral actions that they've taken just, just because of the, at least for them, aside from the contract purpose or violations for the morale uh, and well-being of employees to be able to take a day or a couple of days or a week off of the telephones um, for their, you know, health, well-being, families, uh, you know, and that type of thing. So that's where, uh, that's really where that, that stands. You know, I think that if, it, if we have to prosecute it, you know, through to like a hearing, I think we're, we would be in very good shape from a, from a contractual standpoint to, to establish that they don't. I'm going to ask Duncan Giles to, to comment because Duncan, you were involved in actually negotiating that customer service agreement. And based on what I've heard you say, uh, Basically, the people negotiating that agreement never imagined a situation like this coming up. Absolutely, Larry. This is unprecedented. I'm going to ask you to, to repeat what you just said because I'm, I'm having some glitches here. But go ahead. I think we got you straightened out now. Basically, as Ken said, this is unprecedented. No one ever looked at this when we were negotiating the customer service agreement back in 2012. As a possibility, nobody ever thought that this could happen. Is there reduced leave during the holiday season? Absolutely, and that's understood by people. But to, to say no leave whatsoever, to hit, frankly, a pipe dream of eighty-five percent level of service is just, you know, dashing morale needlessly for something that they're going to end up eventually losing. And I'm sorry, Duncan, we had a little glitch here. I'm trying to fix as we are on the fly here. But I want to, before we leave this issue, Duncan, or I'm going to ask Ken to, to comment on this. As employees uh, enter the tax filing season, should they 
go ahead and request annual leave and document uh, if they are denied. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, great. Uh, That's part of our part of our remedy um, will be to to address denials of annual leave and so, any and and any other issues that may be associated with that. You know, to the extent that we can legal, um, we will. You know, we're going to seek every remedy that we can legally obtain for folks to to make them whole. Right, because that would help you if you are looking for remedies, having having that documentation will help. So I just wanted to make sure employees understood that. So that is an ongoing issue right now. Unfortunately, because of the way the federal labor relations system works, uh, it may not be adjudicated by the end of the tax season, but I know that you have tried your best uh, to get some agreement before then. And as you mentioned, Ken, the, the management has not uh, been cooperative on that. Yeah, and I would I would add that there are discussions that are ongoing um, between uh, NTEU and Treasury and the IRS at at a high level about this issue. This is not just something that um, you know our leadership, Tony and Doreen, are are um, taking lightly. It's a, it's an issue of the highest importance for us, just because of uh, what you know, the impact on employees and, and their, you know, their work lives, their family lives, you know, their need to like take a break, uh, obligations that they've had uh, from a year ago for, you know, a wedding or, you know, any type of thing like that. So it's, it's, it's being addressed actively by entity. Yeah, and Duncan and I are alumni of uh, having worked on those phones. We absolutely know what you're talking about. And I'm sure people working the phones are going to uh, appreciate hearing that, that you are still working on an agreement or some way to settle this even as you go through the system. So thank you. That was a pretty good update on on that issue there. It's still in in process. Another issue that's come up, and we'll have Dan Casper come in and talk about that, and this has to do with something that's called the surge. This was basically forcing people to go from one job to another to work the paper inventory, which had had piled up for a, a long time. And and I'd like, uh, Dan, for you to just uh, talk about how that is going. What is going on? Where does it stand now? Where do you think you're going with this whole issue of what people internally at the IRS have been calling the surge? Absolutely. Uh, you know, so I mean, the surge was really... Uh, well, it, it was kind of multiple mini surges within those, but you know, you you summarized them pretty well, you know, Larry, and that was um, part of what was the biggest issue for people of being involuntary ship involuntarily shifted from one place to another. And you know, at that time, there were two surge MOUs that were reached in uh, about June third, I believe, of of twenty twenty two, and. You know, in those surge MOUs, taking what IRS it says was the ending date of those surges, which was September 30th, uh, we agreed to put those into the MOUs, the accounts management MOU and the SP surge MOU, and said it was going to be at the end of that, and that employees were going to be returned either to their position of record um, for the accounts management MOU or, you know, back to their uh, regularly assigned SBSE work under the submission processing MOU. And in those MOUs, you know, it says you return back to that position or to that work as of October 1st of 2022. 
And that was supposed to bring relief to a lot of the employees who hadn't yet had, uh, you know, who did not want to be in those surges in the first place. And IRS, you know, came later on down the road, had that MOU signed off and said, these are going to be extended because essentially we aren't anywhere near where we had hoped to be at this point in time. But, you know, the problem was we'd had folks, we'd had a lot of employees who they had put their dues in, so to speak. You know, they had done this work involuntarily to try to make this better. And the IRS had agreed that they get to return to their positions of record or to their prior work by that time. Um, we said there may be some people who want to continue to volunteer and we can work with you to identify who those folks are. But for the employees who did not want to continue on with this, you IRS said that they're going to be able to return to this. And this violated um, them extending past this October 1st date, violated that agreement that they reached with us. There's more to you know the grievance and that, but that's really the gravamen of what we raised. Yeah, and Duncan, I'm going to ask you to jump in just for a moment because I know some people in Chapter 49 uh, have been involved with this, and and you and I have talked about how this really does impact employee morale, just like the uh, denial of annual leave for people in in W and I. So it's almost like, okay, IRS employees, you're doing a great job. We've done some great work with uh, surging in and, and having people reassigned to do this this uh, paper inventory. And then it's like, okay, sorry, we want more from you. And that's, that's not going over well with uh, the employees, is it? No, and understandably so. Uh, this, this has a great deal uh, in common with Catch-22. They keep extending and extending and extending what they need to have done because the paper inventory is, is so bad or they need more people on the phones. Well, in, in realistic terms, they're going to have that mound of paper and they're going to be short on the phones regardless of whatever types of surge they have. So they might as well go ahead and I don't know, honor the agreements that they've made. Um, you know, it, it's a tough concept for them to figure, but, this is the dates they agreed to, and so that we feel that they need to stick to it. And I think Dan summed it up very nicely. So with this grievance pending now, Dan, uh, I'll ask the same question of you that I asked of, of Ken. What record-keeping should employees involved in this do, and what kind of remedy, what range of remedies are you looking at? Yeah, from a, from a record-keeping standpoint, this one is a little bit uh, it's different, you know, from, from the grievance that Ken just laid out. Uh, you know, here the violation was just not returning them when they were supposed to be returned. We will have a, a decent list of who those employees are. And, you know, to the extent that there is uh, any any harm, you know, that can be quantifiable that we can take care of on that end, we'll, we'll be able to sort of address that. So it, it's, it's going to be a matter of when employees, you know, were kept on that, um, the, the the SF-50 records will help out with that as well, but we won't need employees to keep records as much here. Uh, you know, we are continuing to work, you know, through Ken's shop is um, doing everything to try to bargain, you know, some additional protections and, and rights as much as possible for those folks who are on the, the surge past the extension point right now. But we held the grievance meeting uh, last week um, the uh, uh, Deputy Director of Negotiations, Frank Barsikowski, is prosecuting that grievance, and uh, I was on that with him. 
didn't hear much in response from from IRS in that grievance meeting. We're waiting on you know a written response to be issued and to to address it at that point in time. Uh, just one other you know last thing that I'll I'll say about this this grievance too is, you know, the IRS took the position at the beginning you know for the first surge that basically it can sort of do this without um, and it tried to do it without bargaining you know frankly it, at first saying that this is an emergency under its statutory emergency rights, which are also in Article 3 of the contract. And it cited the pandemic, you know, it's the emergency reason for that purpose. Now, we knocked that back on them, and, and Ken Shop got, you know, two pretty good MOUs that we're, we're fighting, you know, that, that we're fighting this grievance with right now. But they ended the, you know, they pulled back that evacuation order uh, in, in June, as everyone knows, and, and employees, you know, returned to, to the office at that point in time. And so they're citing that same emergency, both pre and post evacuation order to try to argue that there's not much that NTU, you know, ought to have to say about this. And we think they're just flat wrong on that. And just for people who are not into lingo we used in labor relations, MOU does stand for Memorandum of Understanding, which means management and the union have signed on to something. That's what an MOU is, and that's when you hear that acronym, that's, that's what we're talking about. I'm going to stay with Dan for another moment here. Uh, there's another issue that has been around for a while, this, how, this situation with reasonable accommodations, how reasonable accommodations are being handled, there's an awful lot involved in this. Give us a little background about how we got here and where we are right now on this reasonable accommodation grievance. Absolutely. We had a busy October you know, at NTU <laughs> in terms of national grievances. So uh, this one really concerned employees just it took forever for them to get, you know, basic responses on their reasonable accommodation request. And I'm not even talking about the final decision on that. I mean, just initial responses. And, you know, there's, there's these, uh, another acronym RACS, you know, which, which you, you know, I know everyone on, on this call is familiar with, but the reasonable accommodation coordinator, and they're supposed to uh, assist you know, managers who are under the IRM, the actual decision makers in these reasonable accommodation requests. And, you know, frankly, there, there haven't been enough of these reasonable accommodation coordinators to work through these issues for, for decades. Uh, and then when we had uh, employees returning to the office, uh, we had been telling them for honestly, you know, nine months, a year, dating back to when you know, agencies first thought they may be bringing employees back, that you're going to get a surge, to use that term again, of reasonable accommodation requests, and you're going to need to be prepared to, to handle these. And the IRS didn't really do much to address that issue. We've been telling them that, you know, of the many areas where you need to hire people, this is, is one of them. So in any event, we, we have issues where employees were not hearing back, even with initial check-ins from the reasonable accommodation coordinators for a month at a time. Uh, and that that's not the way the law is supposed to work. You know, these reasonable accommodation requests, when they're denied, these employees need an answer on this and they need these reasonable accommodations on as expeditious a basis as possible. And so we essentially said what the IRS is doing is it's trying to triage and, you know, deal with the fact that it, it has these reasonable accommodation coordinators who aren't moving these cases along and they need to triage them by basically just sending an email that says, all right, everybody, 
we'll get to you when we can get to you and we'll see you in a month or so. And that doesn't work for us at all. No, Duncan, I'm going to ask you to weigh in on this right now because you and I have talked about this reasonable accommodation issue. It, it really became a, an issue with COVID, but it's gone beyond that now. So uh, any question or for, for Ken or, or, I'm sorry, for Dan in this case or, or anything you want to add to that discussion? You know, I just think that, you know, Dan hit the nail on the head. We were telling them, and, you know, I know NTU National was telling them, I was telling executives, this is coming up. This boulder is coming down the hill. You better be prepared. And they, they said, oh, we're prepared. We're prepared. And they haven't. And, you know, I, I, I share Dan and Ken and Doreen and Tony's attitude uh, of disgust, frankly, that they can't respond to these employees. I mean, it's just it. This isn't rocket science. You you need to give them a response. You need to do what you are legally supposed to do. And they haven't been able to do it. And so now we have to file a national grievance over this as well. So, Dan, just to, to remind people, uh, just tell us, you know, where this stands. There are probably people listening and watching this that have reasonable accommodations that are pending. Uh, what Where does this stand as we talk now? Yeah, so, of course, one thing that we told IRS that it needs to do, even as part of its sort of triage, you know, efforts, is you can grant and employees are entitled to temporary, you know, reasonable accommodations while you are trying to process some of these. So, uh, we had some success in getting that message through to IRS at a national level. Um, as usual, they did not have as much success of getting that message down to the, the frontline managers, but we continue to press them there. And so we're, we're at a point now where we're holding this grievance meeting. I believe it's going to be the last week of November. And uh, we'll, you know, we'll continue to sort of go through that process and, uh, and, and press the agency to not only address the, the issues that have arisen that you know, caused us to need to file this grievance now, but let's fix this going forward. Yeah. Let's fix this going forward so that people can actually get answers in this process work smoother. It's not only gonna be better for the employees, it's going to be better for these reasonable accommodation coordinators who undoubtedly have more cases you know, assigned to them than they're used to as well. And just the running theme that goes through these grievances at first, you know, from first to third, the ones we've talked about is uh, we finally, you know, we're hiring people, you know, now at the IRS, which is just a, a wonderful thing for so many different reasons. And, you know, then the question starts to become, can you keep them? And the source that we've had to file, you know, these three grievances over, none of these three help in that regard whatsoever. Yeah. You know, Dan, one thing that I always used to tell people both as a union official and even when I was a manager, I'd remind my fellow managers, reasonable accommodation is not just a contract provision. It's the law. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's, it's right yes. in the law and uh, you need to follow the law here. And uh, that's my, uh, that's my, anything you want to add Duncan before we move on? No, that's, that's exactly the point. It's um, you know, we're, we're hiring all these people but I think that we're having a lot of people go out the door specifically because of issues just like this. And Dan hit the nail on the head on that. Let's go back to Ken Moffat, because I know that uh, Duncan has done this numerous times throughout my IRS career. And even as a retiree, 
I have helped out with orientations. When we have new employees coming on board, uh, NT would meet with them and, and always enjoyed doing that. And, and they had a lot of questions for us, and we always tried to, to answer everything that, that they brought up. And I, this whole idea of having virtual orientations, this is something new. Uh, and, and the question then comes up, how does NTEU get the guarantee in the contract that we as an institution will have our people meet with these these new employees during their orientation? That is also a grievance. Tell us, uh, Ken, a little background on that and, and where we stand with this grievance right now. Yeah, thanks. The, uh, the issue with orientations is you're right that it's in the contract that um, we have a right uh, you know, it's a longstanding right that um, management typically onboards people, um, you know, for years and years, they would bring them in, um, swear them in, uh, you know, start the process for them to become official employees, get them equipment, have some classes, orientation classes, um, and I think a number of different uh, you know, departments within the IRS would, would come in at various times and speak to them. And we had negotiated and had for years enjoyed the right to come in. Um, we have uh, actually in the contract the right to show an NTEU video. I think it's a 12-minute video. And then we have a right to meet with them um, outside of uh, management's presence for for 30 minutes. Um, and that all got, went a little bit sideways with the, the pandemic. So in March of 2020, um, you'll remember that uh, the chief human capital officer issued the evacuation order. And um, essentially that order, um, you know, directed all employees to uh, either perform work at home, or if they couldn't, then they were, you know, in various categories, one, one category, you know, weather and safety leave. But so it was a, based on, on the safety of the workforce. Um, and, you know, we started meeting with the IRS immediately. Um, Tony and the commissioner um, got together and said, let's convene a, um, a COVID, you know, work group or team made up of, uh, of, of IRS officials and NTU uh, folks and meet. And we actually, when we first started that, we were meeting probably about three times a week. Um, but that was all based on, you know, all of these actions were based on keeping the workforce safe. Um, uh, so, but the, the issue that we soon encountered was they were continuing to hire people, um, backfill positions, hire people, um, I guess in March, it would have been toward the end of the, you know, end of the filing season as all of this is kind of unfolding. Um, but as we went through the summer, you know, they started bringing people back uh, for jobs on campuses where, you know, their work was not uh, transportable, portable work. Um, and we basically had to figure out a way to, you know, get our right to meet with people um, in these orientations. And what we did is we reached a temporary agreement during COVID. We would meet with folks. Um, they started onboarding people virtually um, and even have them come in or mail them a laptop, uh, you know, come in to pick up like a curbside pickup of a laptop or they would mail them a laptop 
And essentially it was, you know, a way to do all of this stuff virtually to keep them safe, right? To, to reduce the risk um, that they would contract uh, COVID. Um, so what we did is we reached this uh, agreement with them on, you know, during the pandemic that we would onboard folks, they would onboard folks virtually, we would conduct our orientations virtually. Um, and we did that for a couple of years, um, you know, during the pandemic. We showed the movie, we talked to people over Zoom, we had chapter leaders uh, on the call to conduct the NTU portion of the orientation. And then what happened is when we bargained the return to office MOU, you know, that Dan mentioned this June date of um, this year, where they directed everyone to go essentially to return to work and resume normal operations. What we found is that there were a couple of units um, I think some of them were in headquarters where they, they were trying to continue, uh, not just trying, but they were actually continuing to onboard people virtually and essentially forcing us to, to conduct orientations virtually, which is not consistent with our contract right. And, um, you know, if you know anything about orientations, um, you know, you can have a lot more of an impact and, um, you know, give and take and communicate with folks first, you know, in person, face-to-face, then you can over, uh, over a computer. So we, we talked to them about it and said, you know, look, as of the data MOU, that IRS was, uh, you know, very hot to get folks back to work. Um, you know, as of that date, you know, you've got to revert back to the contract and, and, and the orientations have to be face-to-face. And they didn't do it. So we filed a national grievance uh, to, you know, to vindicate our right under the contract to meet with folks, you know, part of this admittedly is, um, you know, the way that we schedule orientations is that it's um, adjacent to our portion of the orientation is adjacent to either a break, typically a lunch period where, you know, they're not on the clock so we can talk to them about membership. That's not a secret. That's just, you know, the way that we've done it for years and years because of the rules that restrict us in conducting internal union business during uh, you know, periods of time when people are on duty. So um, you know, obviously a part of it is our contract right and a part of that uh, that's important to us is both communicating with people about NTU but also communicating with them while they're on a launch period um, about joining NTU. So, that, that grievance is in process um, right now. And Duncan Giles, from the point of view of a chapter president, you know how important it is to have a face-to-face discussion early on in that orientation process for new employees. Absolutely it is. You want to get to know them. You want to, you know, as, as Ken alluded to, if you're sitting there on a computer, it's tough to figure out, okay, do I want to ask questions? What questions do I ask? Where you're having an in-person discussion, it's much easier to make that connection to have them ask the questions or tell them about things that may not be covered and let them know how NTU is a resource to them. It's it's just much easier for everybody uh, to do it in person rather than virtual. So, Ken, how optimistic are you that you'll get a good result out of this? Very. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, yeah. I mean, I there's... Uh, I. I I, I can't really think of um, 
a good defense to it. I mean, it's a it's a pretty uh, clear contract, right? And there's about a you know twenty five to thirty year practice of doing it, uh, <laughs> consistent with the contract. And uh, there's a little blip on the radar of uh, of them doing it virtually. And you know, I, you can't have it both ways to argue that the pandemic is over and everyone's got to go back to work. And then say, oh, by the way, uh, you know, for a couple of units, we're going to continue to uh, to do it the way that uh, you know that we were doing it during the pandemic. It's, it just doesn't uh, doesn't add up. Okay, Ken, great. That's a great discussion about that. Thanks for the update. I'm going to stay with you, Ken, because there's one other issue that Duncan and I have talked about the last few podcasts, and it's <laughs> something uh, NT is quite proud of. It's uh, the awards agreement. Employees love it, but uh, there's been an interesting glitch this time. It appears that the employees are seeing their awards show up on HR Connect, but NTEU does not yet have the information. This was a a system bargained jointly between the management and the IRS. So uh, what happened here, Ken? This is not actually a new problem. Um, this, this is actually an age old problem. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, what they do is they up IRS up independent of article 18, which by the way, we are very proud of, um, in this contract, we got locked in a number of changes to it that are, are going to ensure that it's a program that's around, uh, at least for three years, uh, the first half of the contract. Um, it's, you know, it's a, this, this contract actually, if you trace the funding of, of uh, Article 18, um, back in the day, like 20 years ago, it was about the, the funding, there was a formula based on the total annual salaries of bargaining unit employees in the prior fiscal year. And back in the day, 20 years ago, I think it was like 1.5%. It grew to 1.6%, then it was 1.75%. And then in 2013, uh, there was a sequestration law enacted and the IRS had to find about $648 million in April of the fiscal year to cut 648 million. And the, um, the person who was the head of the commissioner at the time decided that one of the things to cut would be the performance award. So it really went down to uh, zero that year and we negotiated a settlement, but we grew it back to in the next round of contracts to, to 1%. And then now we're back at uh, 2%, not back at, we're at 2% for the first time, I think ever. Um, and on top of that, um, we got the IRS to agree not to take the bilingual awards out of the performance awards pot. So that makes it uh, even larger. But back to the issue that you asked about, which is we get data from the IRS, which we just got last week. It's, it's called a union detail report, and it includes everyone in the, in, who's eligible for and is going to get an award. And what we do when we get that is we sort it by chapter. Um, and then we, once we've sorted it and checked it and looked at eyeballed the numbers to, to make sure that it's essentially accurate um, from a chapter to chapter standpoint, we will post it. Um, 
And I think we're going to post that data on Monday. Um, but the, the problem for us uh, is that the IRS also uploads that data on their own HR Connect system earlier than when they, or about the same time that they give it to us um, so that if employees want to, they can go into that HR Connect system and kind of figure out um, or see. We don't have, we actually at National Institute do not have access to that, but employees as IRS employees, they have access to it. So they can see what their award is gonna be. Um, and that causes a little bit of um, confusion because they're hearing, they're not even hearing from management about it, but they're able to kind of get a sneak peek uh, early on. And then of course, you know, every year we have uh, mistakes made by IRS uh, personnel um, in terms of elections where some employees elect time off in lieu of an award and they'll find out on HR Connect that they're gonna get a cash award even though we, they elected time off and vice versa. And those are things that we traditionally have to correct in the, the, the first several weeks of the, of the awards being rolled out. You know, Ken, and, and Dan, you can talk about this too. I'll give you a little historical story that might be of interest. I was a new steward in the late 1980s when that awards uh, article was first put into the national agreement. And when we implemented that, of course, your award is based on your performance appraisal. What we found out, and we found out this was most common in long-serving revenue agents, some of these employees had not had a new appraisal for 10 years, some 15 years. So if nothing else, the awards agreement actually had it forced the management uh, to give a performance appraisal to every single employee every year. We found out that wasn't even the case. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna disparage managers who revalidated appraisals for years or years um, overtly, but um, that's one of the things that uh, you would see in you know in various divisions where um, where where they would uh, it would be a lot easier for them, you know, depending on how many people they're supervising to revalidate a number of people, and I think that that practice probably continues. Yeah, we didn't even, these weren't even revalidated. They just were sitting there, nothing had happened. Oh, okay. Uh, so, so it's worse than that's that. That's even worse. Dan, I think you had something you wanted to say there. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, it's part of the, uh, part of the, I think, the brilliance of Article 18 and the way that that award system has developed under, you know, the acronym of, of the, the NPAA, which Ken can give you the acronym for because I can't remember right off the top of my head, but uh, that's that's been in develop you know development. It's been amended. It's been put into the contract and improved, you know, over the past two decades. Uh, and tying that to the appraisals, you know, has it gives it that sort of objective standard in there. And using the fifty five percent number, um, you know, has plus ties. Plus ties exactly. You know, really um, makes that award system. I think the envy of of a lot of other. Um, agencies and frankly, you know, part of the reason why it's the best collective bargaining agreement in the contract by many by many standards. It's National Performance Awards Agreement. Thank you. Yep. Is correct. Correct. That's all. Yeah. It's yeah. Not, the the thing that you mentioned, Larry, about your rating. It's designed to be progressive, in the sense of 
it goes up based on rating and grade. So there's two components to the formula. Yes, so the higher, yes. your, the higher your grade and the higher your rating, the higher your award will be. Yes, that is correct. That is another component, but it's, it's your performance appraisal is a key part of that. And grade is also obviously a very uh, important part of that. I want to, before we... Uh, Larry, before, before we leave this, I do want to make the important point that Ken made the... For everyone that's asking, and you know, folks watch this across the country, the awards we don't have your chapter does not have the awards information yet. As soon as we get it, we're happy to share it with you, but we don't have it yet. Hopefully, it'll be sometime Monday, it may be a little bit later, but you know, don't think we're hiding it or anything like that. It still has to be formulated. Yeah, Just want to make sure that's clear for everybody. Yeah, in Chapter 49, Duncan sends out an email to all the members once it's in, and you're welcome to check them. But if you check with them before that, he's not going to have it. And as our national office people have said, that it takes time to sort that out before they yeah. send it out to the chapters, uh, verifying its correctness to some extent, and, of course, sorting it out so the chapters have the information they need to have. I'm going to ask... Uh, Duncan, to start, and anybody else who wants to chime in on this, uh, we're in uh, open season for health insurance. I went in the other day on NTEU, for, which all members have access to at nteu.org. Uh, is, is go, I went into the consumer checkbook, checked out all the uh, health insurance plans, and whether you're a retiree or you are an active duty, it, it makes no difference. You can still use that. And it's an awesome tool. I, I more or less verified I've probably got the best insurance plan now that I should have. But, Duncan, uh, it's, it's, it's something that I think members need to know. It's there. It's free. You would have to pay for it if you were not a union member. And so uh, you need to just jump in there and, and take a look at that. Yeah. As you said, it's really an awesome tool. It's very, very easy to use. I mean, you know, it'll ask you your zip code, your age. And then basically, here are the plans that you're uh, available for. Do you want a, a PPO? Do you want an HMO? You know, they're all, there are these things that you can uh, choose. You can compare plans. You know, I was on it just today during my lunch because I hadn't been on it this year to take a look. And, you know, this year I may or may not change my plan that I got a couple of years ago because there's one that's going to be a little bit better. You check out the plans you like, you contact your regular doctor's office. If you have a regular physician or doctors that you go see, do you take this insurance? If they do, that can be an option for you. You can get the same type of deal that you're getting for the uh, the big company that I'm not going to mention their name, but, you know, they usually go by initials. Um, and, you know, save yourself a heck of a lot of money. So that's why I urge everyone to take a look at this great tool that National provides. Yeah, and I'm going to give you a chance just quickly. Dan Casper, uh, this is something NTEU provides as a service to us employees. Any Anything you'd like to add to that? No, I mean, exactly. You know, this is a member benefit of NTEU. And, you know, frankly, it's one of the most often cited, uh, you know, benefits when I see members talking to others who are hopefully soon to be, you know, members as well. Uh, a lot of benefits that that they share with it, but it's it's a it's an excellent excellent tool. Well, we're wrapping things up now. Uh, so, Ken, uh, any final comments? And uh, what are your Thanksgiving plans? Family, turkey, sleep. 
Very simple. <laughs> nice, nice response. Maybe there may be some wine involved. <laughs> Dan, shock, I say. Anything uh, for you, Dan? Anything you want to add at the end here, Dan? Uh, I am uh, staying around the Washington D.C. area, looking for uh, a lot of time with family, some football as well. And I will just say that um, I used to despise stuffing when I was young, uh, and I've become a stuffing connoisseur of sorts, if that's an actual term. And I'm looking forward <laughs> to some stuffing this year. I'm nice. sure the stuffing connoisseur is a correct thing to say. So, <laughs> Duncan, how about you? Uh, plans for Thanksgiving. Uh, plans for Thanksgiving are to be with my uh, awesome girlfriend, uh, Kim. We're going to do up, a, you know, turkey stuffing, uh, you know, sweet potatoes, that type of thing, watch some football. And I just want to say, you know, we're not going to have a podcast next week due to the holiday. But one of the things I'm really thankful for, two things I'm really thankful for. One is the great support and guidance we get from not only national and to you, but also our field offices out there who help out the chapters immensely. Very, very thankful for all the hard work folks at national do. And also I'm thankful to work with a great, great, great bunch of people across the country. Our IRS employees bust their butts. They deserve the time off. And I just hope everybody has a great and happy Thanksgiving. And I'm very thankful for you. And it should be noted that, you know, Duncan's had a lot to do with many national agreements. The current national agreement, we have the overall agreement. He was uh, there the whole time when the negotiations were going on. You know, Dan oversees all the attorneys that work for NTU out in the field, and and, and they do a lot of very good work on the ground helping out chapters and, and members of the union. And, and Ken is involved in all the negotiations that go on and that uh, are in the contract. And we've talked about how that contract is being enforced uh, during this this particular podcast. So thanks to all of you, all the work that you've done. And Dan Casper and Ken Moffat, thank you. Duncan Giles, thank you as well. It's been a pleasure to uh, talk to all of you. I apologize for some of the glitches uh, early on, technically, but uh, we are trying to upgrade our equipment, so hopefully that will not be a problem in the future. But it is Thanksgiving weekend coming up. Please enjoy that time. Take a little time off to enjoy some time, as all of us are going to do with our respective families. And uh, just uh, try to recharge your battery because right after Thanksgiving, we're all back to work again and there's always plenty of work to do. My name is Larry Landon. I'm a retiree and I just do some communications work as a volunteer for Chapter 49. So we thank you very much for watching and listening. We appreciate everyone who takes the time to do that. And we also wish you a great Thanksgiving holiday. Be safe. Please be kind.